our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, this week we have a very special episode for you. Daniel and I lead the Institute for Advancing Health Value. This is a nonprofit organization that supports healthcare organizations through competency based education, peer learning, networking, and research and intelligence. And we just released two outstanding intelligence briefs this week. One brief analyzes the 2021 Medicare Shared Savings Program performance results that were recently announced. And the second brief provides an in-depth analysis, which you'll only get here from the Institute, on the new ACO REACH cohort. There was 110 provisionally accepted organizations that are joining ACO REACH in 2023. These are intelligence offerings that are free for any provider organization that joins. We have a complimentary membership. And we just invited Kate Delisle from Levitt Partners to discuss this important research. Uh, Dan, you've known Kate for quite a while. I, I think our listeners could would appreciate hearing a little bit from you about Kate's background. Yeah, Eric, thanks. Um, it's been such a privilege and honor to work with Kate over the you know close to a decade of time that I've spent working with her. She's a, a fantastic analyst and researcher. She did so much work with us in the early days of the ACLC and creating the Atlas and and researching and and uh, facilitating work groups and uh, writing case studies. So much of what we have become today is because of her thoughtful contributions. And she's currently a senior manager of payment and delivery transformation and a lead of the value-based care research team at, Le- at Levitt Partners. And she contributes a lot to the accountable care movement through primary and secondary research and continues to influence the things that we publish. And again, it's just a great privilege to have her on the show today. So happy that we can be connected to Kate. Well, Race to Value listeners, let's go ahead and hear from Kate Delisle. And don't forget, if you want to learn more about the MSSP results for 2021 and the new ACO REACH cohort, go to advancinghealthvalue.org and download this important intelligence and we'll have links in the show notes for you as well. Kate Delisle, welcome to the Race to Value. It's good to have you on the show this week, my friend. It's so good to be on, Eric. I've been waiting to say longtime listener, first time caller. I'm glad to be on the pod. 
I love it. Well, we, we're excited to have you on, Kate. Uh, we wanted to d- discuss these two intelligence briefs that the Institute for Advancing Health Value just released this week. With your research, leadership, and expertise, uh, we had these intelligence offerings related to the 2021 Medicare Shared Savings Program performance results, and then the recently announced uh, provisional first cohort for the ACO REACH model. So I know you've done some great analysis on REACH as well. So um, are you ready to get started? And just we could have a, just a great conversation about some of the key findings there. Sure. Yeah. You know, we have been big fans of the uh, McCaddle Care Learning Collaborative, now the Institute. Um, and I, I was trying to look back to see how many years we've produced these MSSP results analyses. It's um, been many years, but this was an exciting year for the program and a big year for CMMI, the ACO REACH model. So, yep, let's dig in. Well, it is an exciting year for the program. I mean, the if you look overall, I mean, this is the fifth consecutive year that the MSSP has generated net positive savings to CMS while simultaneously reporting high quality performance for participants. And then you look at the total program savings, it's nearly $5.4 billion over the model's lifetime. And it's a meaningful contribution and clearly a a leading indicator that the value movement's moving in the right direction. So I'd love to ask you, you know, just given your research and the amount of time that your team has spent conducting uh, an analysis of these ongoing results of the Medicare Shared Savings Program. Can you speak to the high-level program performance? And also, what are you seeing in terms of MSSP performance by share of ACOs generating savings in performance by ACO track, provider type, and experience in the program? So I'd, I'd encourage um, members to check out the brief. It's about 10 pages, 13 with the appendices. So a lot more detail and graphics there, but just kind of high level or top line results. Um, the As you said, you know, fifth consecutive year of net savings. And it wasn't always clear that this program was going to be a winner. You know, I remember the earlier days of the program when there was, you know, a lot of kind of back and forth or debate about how to measure its impact. And I think Total savings is still not the perfect measure. Uh, it do, I don't think ca- uh, captures all of the value of the program. But um, with five consecutive years of net savings, the argument is clearer. You know, many ACO proponents are now arguing that this program's demonstrated proof of concept and should be expanded. You mentioned the total net savings over the program's history. Um, 2021 was a, a good year for the MSSP not quite as large in net savings as last year, the 2020 performance year. But um, you know, after accounting for nearly two, 2 billion in shared savings payments, 1.96 billion in shared savings made to ACOs, uh, CMS realizes a net savings of 1.66 billion to the taxpayer, which is significant. The average per aligned beneficiary savings, I think that's an, an important figure to look at, the per, per beneficiary savings in 2021, on average, was $164 per beneficiary. And I think it's interesting to see the comparison that's nearly double what it was in 2019 at at $85 per beneficiary, rather. So 81% of ACOs in 2021 generated savings and, and 58 generated enough to earn a shared savings bonus. The quality scores were high. You know, average ACO quality is 90%. But interestingly, I think, you know, 2021 saw the lowest MSSP average quality score since 2014. So there's a a bunch of 
quality changes coming up with this program, kind of at a high level, a, a good year for the MSSP. In the brief, we dig into the results by track, by risk sharing tracks and non-risk sharing tracks, by provider type, by ACO size and revenue designation, the geographies so of their footprint. So we, we dig into a lot of these, but a couple kind of interesting tidbits. Uh, many of these are continuations of themes we've we've seen in past years. So, and one of those is, is by track or risk sharing. So, you know, as with prior years, those risk-bearing ECOs were, were more likely to save and also to save more. So 89% of risk-bearing ECOs generated savings compared to 76% of those that were just an upside only. And those in the risk-bearing tracks generated more total savings on average of 5.3 million per risk-bearing ECO um, relative to just 2.9 million per non-risk-bearing. Another kind of continuation of past themes, uh, trends, we're seeing, we analyze ACO savings by provider type. So we look at ACOs that are led by physician groups, those that are led by hospitals, and then ACOs that are led by both physician groups and hospitals together in a, in a collaboration where those ACOs are co-led. This is also in line with past trends. ACOs that are led by physician groups realize the most savings. Uh, followed by those who are led by both physicians and hospitals together with uh, hospital-led ECOs and had the lowest savings of the three types. Also kind of interesting on by that provider type line, uh, physician group ACOs and those that are led by both uh, physicians and, and health systems, they increase their per-beneficiary savings, while those hospital-led ACOs saw a decline in savings. So the AC, these ACOs alone, the hospital-led ACOs alone, were the reason for the overall decline in savings. It's kind of a nice segue into my last little point here on savings uh, or analyzing the per performance results in more detail. We always look to see how long the ACO has been in the program to see if experience in the MSSP is an indicator of performance. Um, and this year, we saw some interesting things. So consistently, we've seen year over year that experience pays off. You know, the longer you're in the program, the more likely you are to save. Um, but more recently, this has this trend has been less clear. It's getting a little murky. It's not that that trend line of experience and total savings is not as straight uh, straightforward. So we wanted to understand why to see if any part of this experience kind of thesis is still um, clear in the data. And one of the reasons for the loss of that trend or the murkiness was looking at the makeup of the ACO cohorts and how they changed over time. So earlier in the, the history of the MSSP, hospital-led ACOs made up a greater share of total participants. And in more recent years, we've seen uh, physician-led ACOs are, are more common. You know, uh, this is some research we put out in AJMC, but you know, physician group-led ACOs are the most prevalent new type of ACO. And seeing that shift in the entity type, the impact on year-over-year -year savings. So we see that physician group-led ACOs and those that are led by both physicians and hospitals, they, they show that same, the trend line of year-over-year -year participation improvement. So the longer those ACOs are in the program, the more likely they are to save. Whereas hospital-led ACOs don't show that same trend of years in the program paying off in total savings year over year. So I think that was kind of interesting to see how the, the provider type influences 
not only their you know, performance in a single uh, uh, performance year of the program, but longitudinally across their life lifetime of the program. I'd encourage people to, to check out the brief to dig into more of those details. Kate, thank you for that awesome response. Really grateful for that over, overview of the MSSP performance results and the analysis that you guys have done. And, and Kate, you and I have been friends for a long time, and I have to say you're one of the smartest people that I know in value-based care. And so I always look to you for the answers and and so grateful that we get to work together and, and get your uh, research support. And uh, so let's jump to our next topic and, and let's talk about ACO reach and get the overview of that. We know that last month, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid quietly released the names of 110 provisionally accepted organizations selected to join the ACO reach model in 2023 which is the first performance year for the redesigned model following its transition from, from global professional direct contracting or GPDC to ACO reach. And this group of provisionally accepted ACOs represent the final cohort that will be allowed to enter the sophisticated innovation center demonstration after CMS redesigned and reopened the model for a final application cycle earlier this year. And as part of its efforts to revise GPDC's design and requirements to better reflect the Biden-Harris administration priorities and to address stakeholder concerns, CMS also committed to greater transparency throughout the implementation of the ACO REACH model. And so this early release of the provisional ACO participant list, along with other information on the application process and results, are a reflection of that commitment. Our recently uh, released intelligence brief now builds on a series of briefs that of GPDC ACO REACH research and considers the incoming final cohort of the REACH ACOs within the context of the model's history. It analyzes the roster relative to GPDC's current participants and it shares expectations for the future. Kate, can you please provide a high-level overview of your analysis of the provisionally accepted ACOs in the REACH program? What does the participation look like by market segment type? And what are some of the key takeaways with CMS decision to accept entrance into the program? Sure, yeah, this was one of the more fun IntelliBriefs to work on together, Dan. So this new program, as you mentioned, you know, ACO REACH, this is the transition from GPDC direct contracting into this ACO REACH program. Um, and as part of the you know, changes to REACH from direct contracting, CMS put forward new requirements for the current participants to become compliant in order to remain in the program, um, and a, a number of, of updates to the methodology, um, and also a commitment to greater transparency. And we saw, we've seen some of these new commitments and kind of the, the philosophy of CMMI shifting in the transparency around the applicants and um, some preliminary information on the new cohort. So this, you know, in the spirit of transparency, CMMI released some information on um, the, the 271 completed applications that they received, and 47% of those were provisionally accepted. So that's a, a lower acceptance rate compared to prior CMMI models. And while they were forthcoming with that kind of information, you know, how many applied, what provider or what self-described organization types among those applicants. And then a month or so later, they put, put out this list of 110 provisionally accepted um, ACOs. And so while there are you know, more details than is typical for other CMMI models, there's, there's still a lot we don't know. 
And so what we did for this particular analysis was just like a lot of internet sleuthing, right? So this list of 110 includes just the bare minimum, you know, the legal name, um, the ACO type. So is it a standard new entrant or high needs ACO? And then which risk track option they selected, whether that's the global risk option at 100% risk or the professional track. So that's all we had. Um, so our team, we did a lot of um, digging into this list of 110. It included many familiar names, uh, as well as some kind of generic or cryptic names. And a lot of them incorporated in Delaware, um, given the kind of uh, circumstances in the state there. But we were able to discern, you know, even among those kind of cryptic or generic names, what organizations they represent. Um, and a, a few kind of interesting findings, especially in comparison when we did a similar breakdown for the 99 DCEs that are currently participating in GPDC. And in our analysis compared how those 99 current participants look similarly or different to the 110 that are incoming in January 23. So a few themes, you know, and similarities and differences across those two groups. The group uh, of, of 110 provisionally accepted includes um, a very similar breakdown of global versus professional risk. This could be a reflection of the, the industry or the, of CMMI's interest in keeping it relatively similar. So similar breakdown in the risk profiles of the participants. However, the new cohort of REACH ACOs includes a lot more high needs and new entrants. Uh, um, AC, ACOs relative to the 99 current cohort. So many more in that high needs and new entrant category and with a similar risk structure, like I said. So even though we have uh, many more high needs and new entrants, these are groups that care for particularly vulnerable and sick populations, as well as those that don't have prior experience in Medicare EPMs. Um, despite that difference, they have an equal share in the global risk track. Um, so, like I said, we'll see a similar kind of uh, risk profile, but uh, different breakdown in ACO types. So among those standard ACOs, and again, those are those are ACOs that have experience, prior experience in Medicare EPMs. So within the, that, that group of standard ACOs, we're seeing greater participation from familiar ACO faces. You know, many members of the Institute and friends of the firm uh, groups I've interviewed many times over the last eight years. So these are provider organizations that have moved from NextGen, which expired, you know, sunsetted, or, or the MSSP. So groups that are sophisticated enough to take this on is a very advanced CMMI model um, that includes prospective payments and other flexibilities that just aren't allowed within uh, the Medicare Shared Savings Program. And so kind of, quote unquote, graduated into this uh, ACO REACH model. So that uptick in familiar faces you know, it could be due to some of the methodology changes that were made uh, between uh, DC and REACH to try to make the model more favorable, especially to provider-led entities. That was a big uh, priority for CMMI was attracting more provider-led groups. So potentially those methodology changes, you know, reducing the discount, and other things to try to make it a little more favorable that could have drawn more of these groups. Um, it also could be due to the aims of CMMI and the application process to try to prioritize those participants or just the strength of their applications. You know, after many years of participating in other 
CMS and you know MA commercial uh, Medicaid uh, contracts often. So that it's exciting to see familiar faces from large health systems down to you know physician group led and FQHC led ACOs that have been successful in prior Medicare models. So we we see a greater share of those kind of participants. One kind of difference is we are seeing far fewer payer led ACOs in the new cohort of, of REACH ACOs relative to the 99 current DCEs. So within that group of 99 current DCEs, we have uh, DCEs that are led by or sponsored by in some way, the national payers are, are all engaging in some way with, with the 99 DCEs, the big five, um, as well as other insure tech, you know, we've got Clover and Alignment and Bright Health through their, their new health subsidiary. Uh, but in this new group of 110 provisionally accepted, far, far fewer payer-led ACOs. So it's unclear whether CMMI received this, a similar kind of in, level of interest among uh, payer-led groups and just elected not to accept them, or what the, the distinction there between uh, GPDC and ACO reach. One thing is clear, CMMI and the rigorous application process was very careful to um, not only assess um, strengths of clinical quality and IT and, and financial capabilities and contracting, but also ownership and other um, conflicts of interest or even perceptions, perceived conflicts. And so perhaps the significant decrease in, in payer-led ACOs was due to some of those concerns from um, the industry that led to the kind of changes that we're seeing with REACH. Maybe the last thing I'll call out um, in comparing the 99 current participants to the incoming group of 110, we saw sustained interest uh, and acceptance from uh, uh, ACOs that are led by VBP enablers. These value-based payment enablement companies where they help, they partner with providers, they help them to navigate the movement or the transition of value to take on risk without assuming ownership of the provider. So they have technology and expertise and they, they help providers to transition um, in exchange for a piece of the savings they help to generate. Um, what was, so there's you know, a lot of VVP enablers involved in, in the model currently. We saw significant interest, sustained interest in the ECO reach group. One kind of interesting difference though, these enabler applicants or new ACOs were more often had explicit provider partners or co-owners in this group of 110. Um, and that you know, certainly is a reflection of CMMI priorities for uh, this new model. Also cool to see how providers that have, provider organizations that have figured out how to do this well, they found success in the MSSP or NextGen, they spin off their own enablement arm and they can then partner with other providers that are outside of their owned network. Um, we saw a PSW, Castell, other provider-owned um, enablers helping to, to sponsor, support a number of, of, of new ACOs. And one of those kind of notable enabler-led ACOs among many in this new group is Allidaid. You know, they've historically just focused primarily on the MSSP as their bread and butter. They still have a lot of MSSP ACOs that they, that they lead, but interesting to see they joined in on this CMMI model with an Allidaid-led ACO, as well as some additional Agilon ACOs and, and other very you know, familiar names for the Institute.
In looking at this group of the new cohort of provisionally accepted ACOs, you know, it's it's exciting, heartening to see how many familiar faces, you know, ACOs that are traditional in the sense that they're led by, you know, physician groups and health systems that are trying to transition away from fee-for-service to value and have found success in the MSSP or, or next gen. Another category of provider-led ACOs we're seeing in this new cohort, um, as well as in the 99 current participants, are upstart providers that are not transitioning from fee-for-service to value, but start with a value-based business model from the beginning. So these are the you know, Oak Streets, Ioras, ChenMeds, um, Cano Health um, of the world, City Blocks, Concerto uh, Care, there are a number of them. Um, we saw a big group of these join in the last, the last application and are in that, uh, the cohort of 99 current participants. And a number of new groups um, in that same category, those advanced primary care companies joining now under ACO Reach. One kind of really satisfying uh, discovery through that, in, that internet sleuthing was ChenMed's um, new REACH ACO. They're, they're joining under the name Dedicated U.S. Holdings, which I'm sure they'll change, um, but currently that's what it's listed as ChenMed, a, a large new um, ECO REACH participant, which is a big get for the program, and I'm sure they'll do great things. Another kind of interesting or, or kind of timely in the news, One Medical is joining the model in 2023. Their footprint currently just includes California, but, and Iora already has a participant there, but just another kind of category or subcategory of provider-led ECOs, those in the traditional sense that are moving from fee-for-service to value, and those that we think of as, you know, having a fundamentally different business model designed on, on around value from the beginning. Well, Kate, this has been uh, an incredible conversation, and I am so impressed with your value-based payment, care transformation, health policy acumen, your research expertise. For anyone wanting to know more about the MSSP 2021 performance results or this new cohort of provisionally accepted ACO REACH participants, uh, go to the Institute, uh, download these uh intelligence offerings. Um, we have a complimentary membership for provider organizations, and we welcome you to uh, access this content and really use it for enablement as you navigate uh, these important changes in the value-based care landscape. Well, so Kate, as we wrap up our conversation today, I did want to ask you one bonus question more about the future. Um, we're getting a lot of these questions from our Institute members. And you know, it's really around the, the CMMI roadmap uh, in the, the current portfolio and what the plans are going forward. I mean, currently there's 54 total models and only five have ever produced statistically significant savings. And CMMI is looking at re-engineering models and encouraging members to take downside risk and include regulatory flexibilities that incent participation and improve benchmarks. But they're also thinking about winnowing down uh, the the offerings that are currently held in the portfolio. I mean, the secretary is is looking a lot about how to harmonize that portfolio and have fewer alternative payment models uh, and ones that really are proven and they can work together in harmony to support the broader strategic objectives of HHS and CMS. And a lot of the questions that we're getting are, you know, around the uh, CMS comprehensive care for joint replacement or CJR model the bundle payments for care improvement or BBCI initiative. Can you maybe 
get your crystal ball out and maybe tell us what you're reading in terms of your translation of some of the health policy rumblings and, and things that maybe our audience may need to be looking out for as they plan their future strategy and value-based care? Sure. You know, I don't know if it's um, the crystal ball or tea leaves, but one, it's a, a term that Governor Levitt uses often is weak signals. So we track public and private sector value developments really closely, especially what CMMI is doing. And it's been a privilege to work really closely with Amy Bassano. At, at, you know, Levitt Partners are now part of HMA. And so we've had a lot of conversations and then also with materials that CMMI is putting out. And earlier this summer, they published a blog post on their specialty strategy um, that was pretty detailed, a CMS blog. I'd recommend people check it out. I think it was published in June. Um, to kind of get a sense for what CMMI is thinking around specialty-focused models, especially as some of those bundles are, are preparing to sunset. You know, is there an appetite for mandatory replacements, mandatory episodic models? Also, how to bring in specialists or incorporate them more into those comprehensive total cost of care APMs. You know, we, we've heard from CMMI that they don't want to design a model around every specialty. You know, it won't make sense to have a diabetes APM, right? But in some cases, like with oncology care and kidney care in particular, there are you know, models designed around those particular disease states or those, you know, those subspecialists. But what are the other opportunities to better nest episodes underneath ACO models or to incentivize ACOs to bring in specialists and, and um, integrate them um, in a, a more meaningful way? I expect that we'll hear more from CMMI later this later this year, maybe not new models that will be announced. I'm not sure if they're they're that close or that far along rather, but I hope that later this year, potentially at the land summit, we'll hear CMMI share what they're thinking, you know, the expansion of their, strat their strategic refresh. If they're gonna try to move all Medicare beneficiaries and the majority of Medicaid rollies into an accountable care relationship by 2030, you know, ACO reach is gonna be an important vehicle for that reaching many more providers, bringing in more millions more beneficiaries, but it's they're gonna have to do quite a bit. It's, they'll need a, a, a solution set, right? You know, no single solution, no single model is going to resolve all these issues. So I imagine it will be multi-pronged, but I hope to hear more from CMMI on the specialty piece later this year. Okay, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our audience. Uh, I always learn something every time I speak with you, and you're you're truly an expert in in all things related to health policy and what's going on in the value based payment front. Uh, I appreciate you spending uh, some time with us today, and 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 most especially thank you for your brilliant research and. Uh, Again, preparing these two briefs on ACO reach and the MSSP results. And I'm excited to share this with our listeners and our Institute members. Well, Eric, Daniel, you guys are, are both awesome and really generous, way too generous with your compliments, but I'm a huge fan of race to value podcast. I'm a big fan of the work that you do at the Institute. I think this is the problem of our generation to solve. And I appreciate all that you guys do to try to advance the mission. So thanks for having me on. Thank you, Kate. Awesome conversation.